is Tansley Stearns. Tansley Stearns is your greatest challenger and biggest cheerleader. Inspirational human being who loves people. Future forward leadership. Tansley Stearns is a badass. Tansley Stearns is my mom, my hero, and I love her very much. I am Tansley Stearns, and this is Despite Impossible. I am a longtime credit union executive leading Community Financial as president and CEO. I have always admired and been inspired by people whose passion is boundless and who don't comprehend the word impossible. This show focuses on their stories. Today's guest is Pierrette Dagg, the Director of Technology Impact Research for Merit Network at the University of Michigan. Her work aims to bridge the gap between academic scholarship and practical application to impact technology and information equity positively. This is her story. Who is Pierrette Renee Dagg? I am the Director of Technology Impact Research at Merit Network, which is the longest running research and education network. You may know us. We uh, managed the NSFNet about 66 years ago, and that is the um, the precursor to the modern internet as you know it today. The aim of my work is to bridge the gap between academic scholarship and practical application. So I'm seeking to impact technology and information equity. And I also do that through um, my schoolwork. Right now I'm a PhD candidate at the University of Toledo in social and philosophical foundations of education and education technology, where I'm working on a dissertation about AI and education. Very cool. There is a lot of depth there. Finish this sentence for me. The world will be a better place when? When we realize we're on the same side. I see this every day, whether it's uh, researchers versus the practitioners or policymakers versus people who implement things on the ground or administration versus educators, um, even in interpersonal conflict between friends or lovers. um, I think letting go of ego and letting go of control and letting go of dependency on outcomes would make the world a better place. And I think that's, it's something I'm still working on too. That's fantastic. When you're your happiest, most joyful times you listen to Anything with a groove, uh, <laughs> orgone, uh, funkadelic, James Brown is great for a good mood. Yes. What's an album that you'll listen to from the first song to the last song? I think that's an impossible question. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. If I had to narrow it down, um, I mean, let's see. I could say Let It Bleed or Exile on Main Street. Uh, yes. You could go with revolver um moon dance by van morrison mm. les mccann has a couple so yeah that, that's a, i'm surprised anyone's able to answer that and just narrow it down to one that's great when was the last time you laughed out loud recently Ooh, well you know i i try to find humor and the absurd mm. in everything yeah. <laughs> um i'm actually pretty goofy to be honest there's a a Stoic philosophy saying that is memento mori, and that's remember that you will die. Mm. And to me, it's actually a, a very positive saying because it reminds me of how precious life is, but also the transient nature of it. So I, I work very, very hard, but I never take myself seriously. That's great. When did you last dance so hard that your feet were sore? 
you know, I don't, I don't have a good answer for that. I think that the long nights of dancing have not happened for me since the pandemic. Yeah. Um, certainly something I would love to see again. Right. When you feel down, you heal by? I would have to say practicing yoga or getting out into nature and touching trees mm. sets me right. Um, I leave so much on the mat when I do yoga and it's this situation of like you versus you. It's a challenge between being present and working through whatever's grating against your soul. Mm -hmm. And I think that hiking in the woods is kind of like the opposite of that for me. It's like my head just clears and it's a, you get rinsed out that way. Who's someone you look up to? My grandfather. He just kept going and figured it out and never questioned if he could or if he couldn't. He would be, uh, he's a colonel in the Air Force, so he'd be deployed for years and years at a time and also somehow managed to raise a family. There were seven children. Wow. Uh, there are some stories where when he was 11, he had a brother who was sick. And so he, at 11 years old, walked across the state of Minnesota by himself to see his sick brother. Um, he put a roof on his house in his mid eighties. I remember as a kid, he needed to move a washer and dryer out of the basement. And this man was 70 years old and of course couldn't move it by himself. So he developed a pulley system in the ceiling to move this thing from the basement to the, the upper floors. And, and there's just so many examples of that. And yeah, as an adult, when you look back on that, I'm not sure if it was his, his faith and his abilities were ever shaken and he just didn't show it or if he was just born that way. But I can see that like a streak of that determination and stubbornness in me. So when I'm, when I'm in doubt, that's something that I try to channel. What's a mantra you live by? Amor Fati is the love of one's fate. And you can use that to describe it's an attitude where you see everything that happens in your life, even suffering and loss as good or at least necessary. So through that, circumstances are not good and they're not bad. They just are. And like I know that can seem a little bit like determinism, but I think it's more about understanding what's in your control and what's not in your control and suspending any judgments of those things either way, because you're never harmed by a circumstance. You're never harmed by an event. You're harmed by your opinion of them. And that's, I think, what holds a lot of people back. Tell us about your impossible. So I have a couple, um, personally and professionally. Um, so personally, I have a, a medical condition that puts me into some scary situations a couple of times a year. Um, my mother actually passed away from this. So it's one thing that, that puts me in that same headspace of everything is so precious and so transient. That's important to live life every day as if this, it, it sounds cliche, but you live every single day as if it's the last day and just try to get as much done as you can. Cause I could be here for a hundred years or a hundred minutes. So that's something that you just, you live by and it sits there with you every minute of every day. Um, and then professionally, there's a, a few things. So at almost 40, I am changing careers. Uh, for 25 years almost, I've been in 
marketing, communications, and broadcast media. And I went from that to getting an MBA and realizing that an MBA was not right for me. And then after that, I started the PhD in uh, Ed Justice. And now I'm slowly foraying back into research. And that is very interesting and very scary sometimes because after 25 years in a field, you go from being the best at what you do in almost any room to uh, quite often being the newest. I'm usually the dumbest person in the room in this new, in this new world. And it is, it's wonderful. It's energizing. It is humbling. You remember how it felt when you were 18 and just starting out on the, the job. So that has been something that's been a challenge. As a marketing and communication professional with over 25 years of experience, Pierrette was confident in her writing skills. Her humbling experience of working on her PhD and getting graded might be scary for many. I find reassurance in hearing that stretching and facing the unknown can be fulfilling and encourage others. How are you planning to stretch yourself in this season? And the two projects specifically that I've devoted my professional career to are digital inclusion and then the ethical application of AI mm. in education. So with, with digital inclusion, um, what's interesting about that is I'm trying to build, along with a, a handful of uh, other collaborators, a measurement framework to guide state policy for right. digital inclusion. Yep. Mm-hmm. So when you think of that, you think that access devices and digital literacy are, are pretty much the big players in everybody being digitally included. But if you go back, 25 years of research has demonstrated that things beyond that triangle have just as large of an impact. Mm-hmm. So these could be design practices or necessary adjustments in the education system, um, adaptations for healthcare and government services, and then un- identifying um, structural inequities. Um, and maybe even structural racism that have impacted technology access in the past, like digital redlining that continue to do so. Um, concurrently, uh, I think another challenge that I'm working on is uh, AI in education. Mm-hmm. So we obviously saw during the, the pandemic that um, AI powered software and digital tools can be used for great good. And right now, AI systems are used to teach, do student assessment, they do personalized learning, we can support students with disabilities. Uh, But the the ideological and and normative challenges with those are just the same. You see disparities that are introduced, there are mechanisms that are scaling up bad pedagogical practices, student agency is actually taken away, Um, democracy can be threatened by AI in education. There's also just a wild host of data privacy issues. Mm -hmm. And the real challenge now is that this is all being used today. It's not stopping or going anywhere. So retroactively, how do we put measurement and accountability frameworks in place to make sure that we're not increasing some of those challenges while we're still capitalizing on the benefits? It's powerful. What are some of the challenges you face that looked insurmountable? Always and only is time. (laughs) (laughs) I guess. Uh Anything, anything is solvable given enough time. And so whether it's juggling a schedule or 
trying to decide between the urgency of two or three projects or getting others to come on board or building a stakeholder coalition, whatever it is, it's time. Was there a point during your journey when you felt like giving up? No. Um, Giving up's not an option ever. I, at least for me, I can say that quite often I wonder about whether or not what I'm doing matters. So whether it's with um, exercise, I recently took up running over the summer, whether it's with the the projects you're writing, whether it's with the things that you're publishing, whether it's what you're studying, you wonder, is this really going to make a difference? Does it matter or not? Um, but I think that ugly little voice is something that everybody has to squelch. Would you share a story about something that went bananas at a time that you can now look back and laugh about? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I loved that you asked this question. As I started to try to think about it, there were so many right. <laughs> things that have gone entirely sideways. I mean, that's, I think that's everybody's narrative. It's, yeah. it's sideways instead of linear. Um, for me, a good thing that I try to remember is uh, about seven or eight years ago, I was actually trying to pay for a little bit of school. Mm-hmm. And I thought it would be this really great idea to buy an old house and flip it. Oh, this is everybody's flipping houses. Yeah. Um, I happened to choose a house that predated the Civil War. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Yes. We are talking every door and every window was handmade, hand cut. There was a coal room. There was a, you know, a retrofitted furnace. But most of the the house was heated by a cast iron stove. And it, it was you wouldn't even believe the state of this house. And. I have never done any home improvement in my life. <laughs> um, and I thought it would be just something I could systematically go through one piece at a time. And I remember there was one night where it was cold. The furnace had gone out. I was it hadn't even made a dent in this home. And I was out of money for the renovations. And I was going to pay for half of my degree with flipping this house. That was the plan. I was also a full-time student and working full-time. And I was sitting in the the kitchen and the power went out, the heat went out, and then the toilet upstairs fell through a portion of the floor and it started raining in my kitchen. No. And I laid down on the floor and I must have cried for an hour because the 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 responsibility I was like, I'm never getting out of this. This is just how I'm gonna live for the rest of my life right. in this house. Oh my um, gosh. But of course, I mean, you do what everybody does. Tomorrow is a different day. You pick yourself up and you just keep going one thing after the other. And eventually I still, I pine for this home because, you know, it wasn't perfect. But by the time I was done with it, it was gorgeous. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I managed to be successful and I made a little bit of money. So I was able to keep going to school. But that's one thing I, I remember that uh, for a few reasons. Um, I acted with my heart instead of my head entirely. And I'm very much a, a 50-50 there. So I try to keep my logic in mind. Um, and also that was quite literally one of the lowest, most hopeless times I've ever experienced. Mm. But it was just fine. And now it's pretty hilarious when I look back at all those things. And you just wonder, like, how did I do that? (laughs) (laughs) 
Achieving your impossible is one thing, but there are no fairy tales with happy endings. We reach milestones. We keep going. What challenges are your impossibles still facing? I would say uh, both with looking at digital inclusion and with uh, AI and education, the biggest problem is a crunch for resources. So with AIED, we've got most of this falls on the practitioners. And I don't know, there are very few educators or administrators who have extra time. And now we're asking them to think about um, ethical implications and democratic implications and data governance issues and all sorts of things that are so far beyond and outside of the scope of what they would be responsible for. And there are already so many additional pressures on them to be able to find time and resources to address these things that really are critically threatening to society, not only now, but in the future. And then convincing them that it's worth it is a challenge. And it's the same thing with digital equity. Uh, People need to be acting on this now. There are federal funds that are available and communities and states are applying for them now. The money has to be spent in a number of years. But at the same time, the, the measurement and metrics and just longitudinal investigation of how to do this in a way which is not going to create longer term systemic issues are not things that people have time for or skills that they have or things that they're equipped for. So it's overwhelming because uh, in all of these situations, particularly for practitioners, there are so many competing priorities. Pierrette reminds us to acknowledge and act to close the gap between under-resourced researchers and educational institutions in Michigan and surrounding regions. As one of our earlier guests, Dr. R.J. Weber reminds us, ideas are equal, opportunities are not. What's your advice for folks to face their fear of inaction and use that fire in their bellies to bring their impossible dreams to life? I always ask what the worst that could happen is. Um, I think we could we could circle back to that idea of amor fati. Um, so at least for me, uh, from a humanistic perspective, um, the only meaning to life, at least for me, is that that I create. So living a, an unexamined, unchallenged life doesn't have much of that. So if we're really and truly the worst that could happen from something is that you just keep going because it's you're never harmed by a situation. You're just harmed by your perception of it. And we're supposed to love and embrace every fate that we have, whether it's good or bad. And we're seeking meaning making. I don't think that there is any other choice but to move rather than live in fear of action. What's your next impossible, my friend? I have to figure out me. I went back to school in 2011. So I've been working full-time and going to school full-time for more than 12 years now. And I don't know who I am or what I am now or what the second half of my life is going to look like in a personal context. I mean, professionally, I think I've got that pretty well. I've got a trajectory there. But personally, I, I can feel a lot of identity shifting and... Some of that's comfortable and a lot of that is very uncomfortable. Uh, so that's my that's my next horizon here very soon. This concludes today's episode. For exclusive content, 
visit us at despiteimpossible.com and subscribe to this podcast.